Hello, everybody. Welcome to the uh, the post November 2021 uh, career conference. I can't believe I'm saying that 2021 <laughs> the year went by so fast. I want to thank everybody for uh, joining us this evening, and um, I, I look forward to sharing a little bit of insight uh, what happened at the November conference and a little bit what happened with the. Um, really the year here at Cameron Brooks as well. And we'll have a year-end webcast that is going to take place on December 16th at 6 p.m. And that's with our CEO talking about uh, what happened during the year and some things like that. So, so tune in for that. And um, our agenda this evening is uh, we're going to go through a little bit of statistics and about what we saw at the November conference, talk about some of the companies that were there, some of the backgrounds, types of positions, and some sample candidate schedules. What are we seeing in the marketplace right now? And why are we doing this? You know, we keep trying to work around the edges and do the very best we can to try to pull back the curtains of what's happening out there. What are we seeing? What can you expect? So, it, it, you know, uncertainty always creates some anxiety, right? So we're trying to take away that uncertainty so you can feel good about the transition. I just got off the phone with somebody who said, I'm worried about the transition. And I said, what are you worried about? He says, the uncertainty. So the goal here is, to make some of this, um, uh, take away some of this uncertainty. So if you look at what we've seen in the last 12 months, so for this past conference, most people averaged between 10 and 13 interviews. November of last year was 11 and a half. We went up January 11 and a half, April 11 and a half. We just saw the market really take this massive shift in June with uh, 13 interviews. And it really does coincide with the economy really taking an opening up due to the vaccinations and things like that, and businesses really getting back to it. August 13, but here's the craziest thing. I get this all the time. Oh, the next conference is virtual. I get it. Listen, everybody's kind of tired of studying and staring at screens and all these things. And I said, I get it. When you, you know, we all want to get back in person and, it, and we're going to get there someday. And I don't, and I, someday, I don't know that it's going to be in the first six months of 2022. Um, you know, we've got another variant coming out. And this was our fear that if we had a winter conference scheduled in person, we would be disruptive. My point being a record-breaking 77.8% of the conference interviews ended in a positive result. That means a company had further interest in them. Never in the history of Cameron Brooks has that happened. That means something like we have 480 interviews and I don't know, like almost 300 of them ended up in positive. Yes, it's crazy. That means only another way to look at this is that 22.2% of the interviews ended in a no, a decline. Only one-fifth of the interviews ended in a decline. Crazy. Maybe like, well, I don't understand what's the pass. The pass is typically around 65%. So you're talking a good like 50, 60 more companies said uh, interviews ended up, yes, that creates more options, which means I can't think of the last time a candidate left the conference without anybody pursuing him or her. Certainly since this pandemic, it has not happened. We've absolutely since um, April of last year that everybody's been leaving with opportunities. And a lot of that goes into just, just you know, we, our proven program works. Great preparation, well-matched. You know, we're matching you really well with your interests and your background. Um. The average number of pursuits, the number of interviews, 
The average pursuits was 9.6. The lowest was five. I think that's indicative of the market. Companies are hungry to hire. It's a great time to get out. There's a lot of opportunity. And I still think it comes back to the quality of the candidates that we work with and the quality of their preparation. Here's some companies that uh, attended the conference. I tried to put a variety, somebody they may have not seen in the last conference. So Corning, big presence of the conference, material sciences, they, they're making everything from um, the packaging, the glass packaging for the COVID vaccine to uh, optical, the, fi the optical fiber that supports 5G um, equipment, materials that are used in pharmaceutical drug discovery, Nextera Energy, an industry-leading alternative energy company, PwC and EY and consulting. Eurofins is a, um, a scientific testing company, tons and tons and tons of testing going on right now. MCOR, Fortune 500 um, maintenance and construction company. The CEO is a former military officer. Resilience is a startup company in the biotech industry and Motorola um, in their or their, between their software, their handheld devices that you are used for, uh, you know, 911 services and police departments and first responders, EMS, those types of things. Um, just a variety of positions that were at, at this last conference. You had a global program manager, which means they're running a program, this in case of this corning, for one of the products across the the globe, sourcing manager, that means procurement purchasing types of positions, associate manager at demand science. This is a consumer packaged goods company where they're um, at ConAgra, that's the company, and they're, they're forecasting what's the demand going to be, how much is going to be the company's consumer is going to want. Very hard to predict. Who's going to want to eat cereal five, four months from now? How, what do, how do we know what cons consumers are going to buy in January? So it's a science behind that. Very analytical role project engineer, process engineering types of roles, um, optical communications engineer out in the field, helping install optical fiber, sales types of positions. Um, I'll share my screen again, a couple of sample interview schedules. So what you see here is the, the list of companies, but the different variety of positions. So you got a business analyst position, a veterans leadership development program with Johnson & Johnson Citigroup, ConAgra, ExxonMobil, MCOR facilities, a commercial junior officer leadership program, PwC Consulting, KeyBank. Just the why, why do I show this to you? Because the beauty of, of and I think it's hard to understand, I really do, because I don't think I got it. Uh, when you go to a Cameron Brooks conference, you're going to see a lot of different types of things. And I think it's going to blow your mind. Yeah, I'm sorry. It sounds like a sales pitch, but it's true. I think it's going to really open up your mind of what's out there didn't even know things like client experience process engineer roles at a, at a banking company or that there were you know consulting firms focused on financial crimes those types of things and so here's another uh, candidate's schedule a little bit different so I have a couple of these up um, maybe a little bit more sales types of related background, business development types of positions. We get everything from biotech to consulting, to healthcare, to alternative energy, to manufacturing team leadership, to general management positions. Those are a couple of the sample interview schedules there. You know, we're, the next thing we want to get you guys to is I give you a little bit of data here of the, 
what we did, but now I want to get you um, kind of why is this happening? I wish I read the same things you all do, but we have a very hot job market and I can't put my finger on it other than the pandemic did two things. I think it caused a lot of people that were baby boomers and retiring to retire a little early. So it accelerated a lot of openings, a domino effect. Yet a lot of people just decided to change careers. Just I think COVID was a time of self-reflection. And so this is just domino. Then the next thing is that you've got supply chain problems and companies are trying to unwind these supply chains and they need people. Next, you got industries like the biotech industry, which we, we just realized with COVID that our biotech industry is not as robust as we, we need it to be. And so you have these companies, so you have industries that have popped out and grown because of COVID, you have companies that sat on the sidelines during COVID that are now hiring. You have the great, what's called the great resignation, people changing jobs, creating the domino. So it's a hot job market, a lot of opportunities. And you are perfectly positioned as a junior officer. When these companies call us and say, we've got problems, we need leaders, and we need people that can really operate without a lot of guidance because we're running around, you're doing a lot of work. Perfect fit for the junior officer because they need grit, can do, overcome obstacles, make things happen, leaders initiative. Just perfect for you all. That's why this is happening and why we're seeing so much demand. So that's a little bit about what we just saw at the conference. So I'd love for the, the four alum to get on, introduce themselves. So go ahead and please turn on your cameras. Natalie, would you go ahead and introduce yourself? Absolutely. Um, so my name is Natalie Snyder. I am a engineer officer or an army engineer officer stationed at Fort Hood, Texas. Um, and I just um, accepted a position with KeyBank as a client experience process engineer. What is a client experience process engineer do at a bank, by the way? So think of it like we're the innovation lab. So we're trying to improve processes for um, the whole organization. So how the bank provides for their clients. Um, and that's about all I can tell you right now. I'll have to give you an update once I start, Joel. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Alex, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, so my name is Alex Whelan. Uh, I am an Air Force Civil Engineer Officer. Uh, I was stationed in uh, RAF Mildenhall out in the United Kingdom. Uh, was able to transition back a little bit early for the conference. Uh, I accepted a position at a company called Procept Biorobotics. Um, it's a sort of a new company out of uh, San Francisco um, in, as an operational project manager. Excellent. And Mitch, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, yeah, I'm Mitch Heaton. I'm stationed down in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm a Navy nuclear power officer, uh, submarine background, and I just accepted a position at uh, Next Air Energy in the Florida Power and Light side of the house um, down in West Palm Beach, Florida. Great. And what are you going to do for Next Air, Mitch? Yeah, so on the specifically for Florida Power and Light, I'm going to be working on the development. Um, from origination to uh, turnover operations uh, as a manager of those systems. So building out, you know, 74.5 uh, megawatt sites, mainly solar um, in Florida. Excellent. Thank you. Adriel, tell us a little bit about your, your background and where you ended up. All right. So uh, I'm an Army logistics officer up at Fort Drum, and I just accepted a position with EY's Wealth and Asset Management team as a senior consultant. 
Um, so I'll be helping. I'm just preempting you a little bit, Joe, but I'll be helping uh, mm-hmm. banks figure out what their next uh, generation of uh, business to consumer products look like. I mean, I'll also figure it out too in a couple of uh, months once they get me on the ground running. <laughs> yeah, great. Thank you all for being here for introducing yourselves. We got questions already coming in the chat, but somebody emailed me some of them ahead of time. So I want to start with one of them. Um, and, and, and if I don't get ones, I got tons of questions for you too. So anybody can take this first, or maybe we just start with Natalie. Let's just start with you and anybody that wants to chime in on top of it. Did you get a pretty good feel during your interviews, which companies were going to offer you and which ones were not? So at the conference or even in the follow-up, did you get a sense of like how you were doing and who was going to give you an offer? Sure. So as far as an offer um, for the initial interviews, it's hard to tell because you know you're going to have to go through that follow-up process. I did feel like I knew when an interview went well, um, just based on the conversation. Um, you know, I'm sure everybody's going to talk about this, but they were relatively conversational. So you you could feel if, if it was going well or if it wasn't. As far as the follow-up process, usually the companies were pretty straightforward about, at least in my experience, um, whether they were likely going to move forward in the next with the next step um, or not. So, so yeah, that was really helpful because it helped me put my companies in a in order of prioritization um, as I was going through that follow-up process. Did any of you guys have multiple offers, and not with you? I think all of you did, but without using dollar figures, can you talk about some of the differences in offers in terms of benefits and compensation, how they related to one another. See Mitch maybe not in his head without using specific dollar amounts and things like that. Can you talk through like how offers compared with one another? Sure. Yeah. I think a lot of them had, you know, a similar structure, obviously with a, with a base and, um, and some of them had, I think one deviation I would see is some would give her a relocation package um, and if you didn't use that relocation package, you know, kind of incentivizing you to use that, that military transition, uh, they would up the bonus, you know, kind of benefit the company in that way. Um, and then other ones also had an adjustment on a lot of, um, kind of health and wellness benefits, something that I saw a lot of the companies, uh, pushing for, you know, kind of like an annual stipend, things like that. Um, so really you, what you might not see in, in numbers, you could see also in writing the other, the benefits that they provided in that sense. And you'll get a lot of insight from Cameron Brooks. I would imagine that you guys got a lot of help from Chuck and Lauren on deciphering the offer and, you know, what, what makes sense and what doesn't the why behind it and those types of things. What was the process like? All right. I guess maybe this question is somebody want to take, what was the the follow-up process like for you? So the follow-up process, I think for me was a little bit quicker. Um, I accepted an offer pretty early because um, it was, you know, just something that I was really looking for. But um, so post, post conference, um, you're going to have a few days to kind of collect yourself. Um, and then you're going to, Cameron Brooks is going to be reaching out to you continuously throughout that, um, that follow-up process and preparing you, um, with a set of podcasts and other information that you're going to need, um, as you move forward into the follow-up interviews. Um, they're also going to be, you know, talking with you throughout each follow-up interview. So it was about, we were kind of in a, in a weird mode where we we're trying to finish everything up before Thanksgiving. And so ours came in quick, fast in a hurry. Uh, so we, 
uh, initiated our follow-up processes, um, had our follow-up interviews probably two to three days um, after the uh, after the conference. And then throughout that process, most um, were able to finalize after one or two follow-up interviews, um, their offers. And that normally ranged between um, about a week and a half to two weeks after the end of the conference. Yeah, the, the follow-up is happening so fast with these virtual environments. I think you guys probably all attest that sometimes you're doing two or three interactions, interviews during the day, different companies. So it can happen. You know, we're just seeing the average number of days it goes from the conference to accepting an offer to go from 18 to like 13 to 12 to 10. Part of it's the job market. Part of it's the ease of the follow of those follow-up interviews. So let's. I'm going to go grab some of these questions here that came in. Any of you? Did you hit interview fatigue during the conference? Um, and how did you um, overcome that? So I'll take that. So as, as Joel mentioned, you definitely want to. Um, you don't want any more than 12 to 13 because I remember feeling pretty fried after day one and that was like six or seven interviews. So, I mean, the best way to go about it is like, take your, take your breaks when you can take a glass of water and just remember that you're out looking for one good fit for all of these companies. And so you have to treat each and every one, like it's the only interview that you're going to get. So that way you're able to keep a fresh mind and constantly keep your eye on the eye on the game because like Natalie said, you could have interviews where um, you get a good feel and you feel like you're going to have a follow-up. But at the same time, I had a, I had a, an initial interview where I thought I would get a follow-up, but for whatever reason, I was a no. So that's just something you have to keep in mind moving forward. Anybody else have any, you know, maybe we, the theme here is any best practices on surviving the conference. I can mention something, Joel. So if you have anybody that you can debrief with between interviews, I found that that was really helpful. Probably something that candidates did when they were doing in-person conferences that we did not have the advantage of, but I have a roommate who works from home. So between interviews, I was able to step away from my interview space and tell her that went really well because of X, Y, and Z. And that really helped me to debrief that interview, and then move on, forget about it, and get ready for the next one. So that's something that I did that really helped. And of course, you know, one of the things that we, I think for people on the the in-person conferences, which we were I so super surprised when we started doing these virtual ones, how much more we do debrief candidates. We, Cameron Brooks, spend in this room here where they come in and they debrief with us. Rob, Pete, and I are just kind of sit in this Zoom room all day on Monday and Tuesday, people constantly coming in to debrief with us. We're not always available, nor do you always want to talk to us. I'm very conscious of that. And so it is good to have some debrief, but we'll always be around for the debrief too. Let's see here. Next question. What percentage, for anyone, what percentage of your interviews would you classify as more conversational versus traditional back and forth? And let's add part two on there. How'd you approach them? Yeah, sure. I'll take that, Joel. I think um, if you look at it and the way I would describe it is if it said engineer in the titles, that one, they had specific questions and they had a list they were going to go off of. It didn't mean it wasn't conversational, um, but you could go into that knowing that they're going to ask or they're going to come in with some stuff, um, save like one outlier for that. 
And the same thing goes, um, you know, they'll, they'll talk about it in like kind of the pre-conference scenarios where uh, Joel or Chuck will prepare you for that uh, scenario where someone dominates. And I did see some of those scenarios where some people would just be so conversational um, that I didn't feel like I was, you know, you know, in the first five to 10 minutes, I saw it was going that way and I'd have to interject and connect. Um, so I'd say 90% were conversational. Um, and then of the ones that weren't, I mean, I will say there's one that I drove. Like, I think I asked questions for 40 minutes um, in order to keep it going. And that one was tough because that is virtual and they didn't have their cameras on. Um, so it was, it was a very interesting interview and you, you could be prepared for that just to ask a bunch of questions and um, what you don't have prepared piggyback uh, off of what they last said. And it rarely happens where somebody doesn't have their cameras. And I think that was a company that it's an intellectual pro uh, property that they couldn't share on camera there. Um, anybody else have any hacks on conversational interviews? It seems like it's the hardest thing to help people understand. Yeah, I think I have one here, Joel. I would say the, the first one is right when you log on, just keep a smile and have a smile on as, as much as possible um, just to show that body connection and that you're actually interested in the interview. And the second one I would say is to, to ask questions early. Um, and the reason that I say that is that'll start the conversational process and it'll show intrigue early versus trying to backpedal and show that intrigue at the very end. Um, and they'll give you some time to, to have those questions at the very end, right? And so you may want to save your biggest hard hitting one at that time, but, you know, based off of what they're saying, ask questions about what they're saying, because that'll show that, Hey, I'm interested in your company. I'm interested in the position. Yeah. You can push forward with that. How about the the structured interview? Did you find those easier, the structured straight as they go? And how do you handle those? Yeah, so I would say that I didn't have a lot of very structured interviews. Um, a lot of my interviews were very much conversational. Um, but, you know, approaching the structured ones, you just need to be able to understand that based off of your preparation sheets that you'll have in front of you um, and the things that you write out, You'll just want to keep that structured interview and be able to hit on the, the three accomplishments because that's the main pieces you're going to try to drive home, right, is those significant accomplishments. Um, so have those nailed down um, specific to the company. Uh, I, can't, I can't say that enough is that you'll want to, you want to cater it specific to the company. There's times where I didn't have it tailored to the company and just through body language, I was able to understand and see that they were sort of, you know, less intrigued. Um, by that response. And so reading the body language and, and catering the, the responses to them is important. Um, I was curious too, for you guys, this is for anybody, this, and I don't know how you'll be able to answer this because you haven't really been to an in-person conferences, but what do you think was unique about the virtual conference space and how did you handle that? You know, I think Natalie talked about one, it's probably easier in person to do some debriefing, whether with a, a, you know, with a fellow candidate or bringing a significant other with, um, but what did you guys find odd or unique about the the virtual conference and how did you deal with it? Um, I actually ran into this. This also touches on the follow-up process, but I mean, technical problems do happen. So interviewers might be a couple minutes late. And if you have back-to-back -back interviews, that can be a little tight. And in one of my follow-ups, it actually ran over about 10, 10, 20 minutes because my interviewer, his camera didn't work and we were going through audio issues. So one of the things uh, I would definitely keep in mind is have your next interviewer's contact information handy so you can give them a friendly heads up that, hey, I'm running into these problems because, and that interview with EY, 
instead of having like a nice 45 minute uh, interview, I pretty much had a 20 minute lightning round with my next guy. So that was something to be aware of. Would you find it advantageous in terms of the, the, the virtual environment? So I, I think we all spoke to how it can be a little bit uncomfortable just sitting and staring at a screen. Um, I think some people had ring lights or things like that. And that, again, can be a little bit uncomfortable to do that for eight hours at a time. But the nice thing about a virtual conference is, I mean, you can be a little bit more comfortable because you're in your house. Um, if you're someone who fidgets, you can do that off screen where the interviewers can't see you. Um, so some of those things that would be a lot harder to hide in an in-person interview. Um, like, like I said, if you have, you know, you're really fidgety or you're nervous, you can hide that, you know, below the table where they're not seeing you on screen. Um, so that's something I think. And then again, being able to just step away from the interview space for an hour or two, even if it's just, you know, sit in a comfortable chair in your house and relax. That's a really nice thing about the virtual conference as well. Yeah, I mean, my, from my perspective, I'm not interviewing, but I certainly enjoy eating better food and sleeping in my own bed, even if it's not long. You're, you're you can, and going for a walk outside. You know, it's you know, there are some benefits to this thing, and I'd say the other people because you haven't been to an in-person conference, the interaction, the amount of time we interact with candidates, you would think it'd be more in person. We we do more of it virtually. There's just. Uh, I, I think it's because we are in one place all the time on, on in a certain video room all the time. And so they know where to find us. You know, the hotel, you can be in a million different places, the, you know, dining room, Starbucks, or, you know, meeting with a client. We're always in all these different places where this interaction was. And I do, I think that we, we have seen the performance of the cancer of the conference get better than in-person because of more time that we get to spend debriefing with candidates and, coaching them. So those are some of the other positives that we've seen over the year. So this comes from another question. Of the companies that offered follow-up interviews, how many did you end up going on second interviews? And how did you balance accepting an offer in a timely manner versus holding off completing the other interviews? Uh, and, and let's start with that one. Did anybody, how did you manage your follow-up process in terms of seeing several, getting offers, seeing other companies? What was, or in other words, what was your follow-up process like? Yeah, I'll speak to that. Um, so I had I had some that happened right inside of the first week, um, right? So virtual, I uh, was able to turn around on those pretty quick. Um, and then I did two, two in-person um, follow-up interviews as well. So you're kind of balancing all of those. And that's really, you know, Mary Lou is uh, pretty involved in sending you a schedule making sure you are uh, good to go, as she would say. Um, for all of those. And sometimes it, it was hectic to get on like another one, right? I followed up on a Friday and then on Monday I traveled for one, but this moment I landed, I had another follow-up interview uh, virtual before you know, starting that. So they're kind of overlapped um, and it will be, you will have to be adaptable in some of those scenarios. As far as delaying like an offer acceptance, yeah, for some of the ones that went faster, um, that doesn't necessarily mean the offer is going to come faster. Um, at the same time, they'll, you still got to put the application in and they still got to go through that. And I think the biggest factor on balancing that is if they've been to a Cameron Brooks conference before, they know you had a bunch of other interviews and they're going to be understanding and it really behooves them in that scenario. If they want to offer you when you're at the offer stage, you know, they're looking for you to choose them. Uh, you know, you can kind of switch hats as Chuck might say, um, to, you know, be the, um, you're not the giver as much anymore in that scenario. So you can just ask for a little bit of extra time. And if they don't give you the extra time, then camera Brooks will make sure that they do. 
Yeah, we're definitely very involved. Anybody else have any different kind of experience with the follow-up process? I think Alex, maybe you did kind of quick out the gate, get somebody you like. Why did, why did you do that? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually had five um, right out of the gate uh, for my follow-up process. And I will say one thing that those follow-up interviews will vary. Um, my first follow-up interview was with the company that I actually ended up um, uh, going with, Procept. And that was a six-hour long follow-up interview process where I was interviewing round robin with a bunch of different um, individuals from the company, um, ranging from VPs down to, you know, co- potential coworkers. Um, and then, you know, there was others where each one of them were in the same room and it was just another one hour long interview. And so I would say that, you know, being able to to do both um, is important and in, in handling that mentally is, you know, it's, it's, it's tough because you're going to be in there for a long time. Um, I would say that the reason that I ended up going with, you know, a company early and it, it was a fantastic offer. It was right where I was looking for um, the, as far as a location. Uh, and I ended up actually, um, halting the follow-up process with two companies, um, because I, you know, I, I, I saw the offer and it was something that I was really excited about. And I had a really long, or I had an awesome conversation with, uh, with Chuck and, you know, he confirmed each of the, uh, each of the things that I liked about the company. And so I decided I, I wanted to, to go with them. So. Yeah. You know, when you know, right. And Roger Cameron used to say that you interview till you have one that hits you in the gut. And when you know, you know, you know, some people need to have several and um, offers and keep going and going and see everything. And some people are like, okay, that got it. That's all I need needed to know. Now, how many of you guys had in-person interviews? I know Mitch, you did, Natalie, you did. Um, anybody, did anybody, Adriel did not. Yeah. So what were those in the only way talk about what it has been on so, so long since I've done an in-person interview, you know, I mean, like with a company, what's it like to do an in-person interview out there? The in-person interviews. Um, so usually they brought you there and they wanted you to talk to multiple people. So that was really helpful in getting to understand the different positions in the company, getting to understand the culture. Generally they wanted to, um, to show you what, like I said, with the culture, to show you what it was like to be around people who were working in that company. So um, both of the on-site follow-up interviews that I did, we went to dinner with people from the company, um, some of them previous junior military officers. So then we were able to see what it was like to transition from military life into that company. Um, so that was really nice for the follow-up interviews. Um, all, all of the companies that that brought us on site were very generous. And again, it, it was exhausting because you're talking to many different people constantly, but um, definitely really interesting to, to be able to get a broader perspective on those companies and the positions. Anybody else want to chime in on what a follow-up in a person in-person follow-up interview was like for them? Yeah, I'll say, Joel, that my mine is very similar to Natalie. Um, you know getting on a flight and, and heading out to the company um, and, you know, being able to, to understand the culture of the company and talk to the different individuals. Um, it also gives you a great perspective of like, cause one of my biggest questions, what is, what is the org- organizational structure, right? I mean, as a military officer, you're, you want to understand what that org chart looks like. And so I think that that was really important um, to be able to interview with different people within the company um, to understand what they do and how you would integrate through that process. Because a lot of these positions that you're interviewing for, 
Um, you know, you are interviewing for the position, but they're all also trying to sell you on, you know, how you're going to um, move up within the company. And so it's just really nice to kind of see that and hear from their perspective um, on, on how on how that whole process would work. Yeah. And how many of you guys that, that did follow ups had any issues with your command letting you go? Yeah. So um, I kind of told my command ahead of time, you know, I greased the skits to make sure that they knew that I might have to travel. Um, and they were relatively understanding. I think uh, it really depends on your command. Um, I know some other people that traveled, you know, weren't on leave. Um, you know, up to that, they were working throughout the week and their commands were relatively helpful too. Um, so I think that that's a large change to, you know, other programs, you know, the DOD has been pushing skill bridge and other programs to help people transition. Um, I think there's a general acceptance that, you know, people need to do so successfully and make sure that they're, you know, have a good reflection on the military too. With uh, the, with the new COVID environment. Yeah. What was it like interviewing in, in person? Did people wear masks? Uh, did they social distance those types of things? What was it like? Was it back to normal? It really depended on the location of the onsite interview. So the one that Mitch and I went to in Florida, um, COVID basically, you know, they say it doesn't exist there. So we didn't see anyone wearing masks once we got out of the airport. Um, but then we went to a different one in Missouri and it was also a lab environment. So they were all wearing masks. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that was really location-based and, you know, what type of an office environment they were in as well. I think the other question is kind of was it was different than it was in the same box there. Um, any remote, and we know this because Natalie, you took a remote job. So there are, there are, we're seeing a little bit more remote work uh, type of opportunities. Um, maybe you want to talk Natalie about your remote opportunity, maybe the pros and cons that you see of it coming. Definitely. So the remote opportunity is a great opportunity for me because it gives me a little bit more flexibility, but I also had some reservations about it. Um, you know, after we did this virtual conference, I think a lot of us saw how hard it would be to just sit in front of a computer for eight hours a day. So um, a lot of my follow-up process, once, once I had the offer from KeyBank, those were a lot of the questions that I asked were, you know, how do you manage working entirely in a remote environment and talking to the person who I would be working for. We talked about, you know, quarterly travel to one of the hubs um, for the organization to kind of get together for internal team meetings, things like that, um, as well as, you know, these might be some some fintech companies that I'll be working with in San Francisco. So I might be able to do some travel there um, in the upcoming months. So it's still limited travel and I'll still, you know, be working at a desk in my house, but being able to combat that a little bit and still have a little bit of that camaraderie um, with people that I'm, that I'm working with. Let's stick with this, go back to the, the your virtual interview environment. Um, how do you get a good idea of the company culture and the opportunity without physically being with the company. Can you, did you? Uh, I'll take this one since I basically interviewed with three different sections of DY. So um, having spoken to, you get a really good, even if it's a virtual interview, just the way you interact with people and they answer your questions, you get a good sense of what kind of people work there. For a lot of the interviews where you feel comfortable talking to somebody and it flows naturally, and you feel yourself um, hitting a lot of accomplishments, not necessarily because you're, you're reciting it, but it just becomes natural. You get a better sense of what the culture is because, I mean, a, cult a company's culture is a reflection of its people. So based on the people you talk to, you get a good sense of how the company, the company tends to operate. 
I would also add that um, a lot of it will depend on the type of company and the size of the company. With some of the bigger companies I saw, like with the consulting firms, I had really quick interviews with a few people. They asked me a few questions and, you know, whether it was natural or not, it's it's a little bit harder to get a feel for the culture, especially in consulting when you'll be working with different people across the organization all the time. Um, you'll see sometimes with the relatively smaller companies, they may get um, you know, other Cameron Brooks alum from past conferences together. And even though it's virtual, you know, get you all onto a Zoom meeting, meeting so you can ask questions about what it's like to work for the company, what it was like to transition from the military into that company. So you'll see that you know, every company is different in what they'll offer you for that follow-up process, but they want to give you the opportunity. They're gonna try to give you the opportunity to understand their culture a little bit more. A couple of questions about your interview schedules here. How early do you find out your interview schedule? But more importantly, do you have enough time from the time you get your interview schedule and those information sheets to prepare and research the companies and, and, and interview with them on Monday and Tuesday? Yeah, I can take this one, Joel. So um, I believe we got our companies that we were going to be interviewing with on Wednesday um, before the conference. And then shortly thereafter, we would received our our schedules of what we would be, um, of who we would be interviewing with and what specific position it was for. And I would say that, you know, it, it is, it does come fast and you're going to may, you may feel like it's, it's a short amount of time, but I think that at least for the initial interview process, any more time, um, you would feel like you're just racking your brain, trying to learn more and more and more about the company. So I would say that it's definitely enough time to be able to understand kind of the the ins and outs for the initial interview process, because the initial interview is is going to be very much a them selling the company as much as you trying to sell yourself. Um, so I would say that it's not as important. Now, when the company information that's when it's really important is during the follow up process and being able to understand not only what the position is about, but it kind of in general what the company does, its purpose, its motivations. I, I would say that that's the biggest part part is the during the follow up process. Right. I'm just going to color that in. Uh, you do get your information most of Friday night. You get some Wednesday, you get most of it Friday. And it seems late when you're only doing a 45 minute or like an Adriel's case, 20 minute interview, you know, you just need to have the fundamentals, the basics down and the sheet's going to give you that. And we give you the 30 minute presentation where we have spent hours to get this presentation down to 30 minutes. And sometimes we've done the presentation like you know, 10 times already in the last couple of years to get, you know, really to get people really ready to get through that interview and then give you a lot of things to research for your follow-up interview process. Um, so there's some of the questions that came in, I think it really, they, they get off the interviewing and more into the strategy. One of the questions that says, did your interview schedule align with your location preferences, salary ranges you hope for, and the types of positions that you wanted. In other words, did we meet expectations? Did Cameron Brooks meet your expectations and how? Yes, um, in a word. Cameron Brooks will you know, talk to you about all of this, but there's a three-stage matching process and they are very much in communication with you throughout that process. So if there's ever a question about um, maybe there's an opportunity outside your region of preference because Chuck maybe thinks that there's a really great opportunity, but it isn't exactly where you want to work or live. 
he'll ask you and say, you know, would this be okay with you? Do you want to open this door? Um, so that's really important. It's that that communication with the recruiting firm, with Cameron Brooks, to make sure that those opportunities that you're interviewing for, you are open to. Um, and my advice is, you know, I had a location preference, but I said, to check, I won't close any doors. So if you think that there are great opportunities for me outside of that location process, then or that um, location preference, then I won't close the door on them. And you know, maybe the interview goes really well. Maybe it's a company I never would have thought to work for. So I think it's you know, have your preference, but be open to potential really amazing opportunities outside of that area as well. Anybody else have a comment on their experience on? expect your concerns about expectations going to the conference and where they met? Yeah, I think it's something probably everyone, you know, in the chat is thinking or in general is like, if you pursued it outside of Cameron Brooks, we did other things, you know, this is a limited scope. I didn't know till Wednesday. I interviewed on Monday. Did it really meet that? Um, and I think I found that the fits in all of these positions and the opportunity for growth in all of them was better than anything I saw uh, outside of that. Um, and I think in a lot of times, right. And, you know, to be fully candid, this is like, these weren't the only interviews that I did, um, you know, right after the conference, I fit in some other extra interviews and it really just showed me more. Those helped color in more to be more confident in the decision I made. Um, and I think at the same time, I would say that you're probably going to get your schedule like, like I did. And I saw some jobs on there that I was like, I don't know initially about this. Uh, I don't know if that'd be a good fit for me. And I went into it just like Adriel said, thinking that was my only one. And I think all of those, you know, doing that made me perform better when I did, you know, want, you know, get to that. There were, you know, preseason if you're talking uh, like NFL or, or whatever. But I think there were a good scrimmage to help me solidify and get some extra questions in there, get some extra reps in, um, and to make sure that I could show excitement even when I wasn't, you know, uh, really motivated to go work for them off the briefing sheet initially. Uh, let me dive into this. We might not get all these questions just in the essence of time. Somebody asked, maybe this is more of a question, like what did you, if you had to go back and do preparation over again, what would you say you wouldn't do or you overdid and what would you do more of? Yeah. So I think that one of the things that as you are practicing your, your significant responses and your, your, your significant accomplishments and some of your responses is not only varying the type of response to the company, but also varying the time length of the response um, is really important. And the reason I say that is because some interviewers are going to want to rifle off a lot of questions at the same time. So you need to be able to understand that in their body language and then be like, okay, bluff star, boom, 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 hit the key points and then be done where other ones are going to be really interested in a single question that they have. And they're going to ask you questions as you move along throughout that um, response. So I would say that being able to practice and varying the type of response as well as the time length is important as you start preparing. Um, and I know some of you have groups that you're prepping for, so it's just something that to use. Um, I can't say enough, use those preparation sheets for the practice companies. Those are very, very, very helpful. Anybody else have like a, this is a best practice or you know what, you don't, don't spend so much time in this area, DPP. I'll jump in real quick. Um, study groups are huge. I think probably the best reason I had for uh, having a successful conference was the fact that it wasn't even the second or third time I was doing these answers or talking about myself. I already had it down to the science because I was getting good feedback from my study group. Like, they're seriously the best thing you can do for this. 
kind of staying on this preparation, how do you determine what questions you want to ask in an interview? Yeah, so I think uh, looking at those briefing sheets that you get, the first thing that I did was I kind of went through and I did the highlighting method. I don't know who's doing that uh, preparation for future conferences. For me, the one I watched was or Pete's. And what I really did was I pulled out something that I didn't think was generic at all uh, and a question that I knew would produce follow-ups. And so it produced follow-ups, it wasn't generic, and I could relate it to my experience. So I could, uh, if I did all those three things, I'd ask that kind of question and make sure that as I asked it, I related in the experience and just said, is that similar to how it would work, you know, at, you know, at your company or how is that, how is that different? And I think they'd spend more time answering that question uh, than you would normally imagine, because then they'll start to see like, oh, here's why it's a good fit or here's, why, here's how your experience relates. Um, and that, that gives a good point to, to jump off from for extra questions. A couple of questions just popped in towards the end. These will be the last ones that we hit from the group here. They both had to do with compensation. We kind of alluded to this already, but did your compensation packages hit within the range that you were looking for? Did it meet expectations? I can take this one. Um, absolutely. When you get your information sheet for each position, you'll see probably a salary range um, for each one. And I can almost guarantee you will be you know, happy with those. Cameron Brooks does not bring companies to these conferences um, for positions that will not meet, you know, the money you make. We're in the military, so they know how much we make. Um, and, you know, each one, there was a range, you know, I'll admit that I had a, a lower one and then a really high one that was much higher than I expected. So you'll see potentially a really large range and that might help you make your decision, but definitely um, the compensation packages were more than comparable to, you know, what I currently make in the army. Yeah. And I would, I would also add on to this one too, is that, do not base the compensation package 100% fully on the information sheet that's provided to you. It is going to be very much based on just how well you interview. And all. there's a lot of things that these companies take into consideration as you start prepar- uh, preparation and then they give you an offer. So um, I accepted an offer in California. So one of the largest tax, uh, largest tax uh, compensation out of um, anywhere in the States. And um, I was very, very, very happy with my compensation package. All right. Let's, uh, let's kind of, we'll wrap up here with, let's go around the horn. Um, let's start with Adriel. Last, if you're, you're talking to the group, you got people that are probably most of these people are already in the program. Maybe some that are considering the program words of wisdom, Adriel, we'll start with you. I'd probably just double tap on um, making Full of that, taking full advantage of uh, you, Joel, and Pete, and uh, Rob when it comes to the conference. Because I remember there was one time after that Johnson & Johnson interview where I was coming in feeling kind of shaken. And I quickly like talked to, uh, talked to you to kind of get my head back in the game and, and refocus for the Motorola interview. So the fact that's one of the advantages of the virtual interviews, that you're not running around a hotel looking for people. You have time to prepare and refocus if need be. Uh, Mitch, words of wisdom about the process, Cameron Brooks, doubts. Yeah, I would say just continuously and relatively aggressively pursue every opportunity you have and like do your best for each one. Um, so going into each, into each interview, making sure you make that uh, the best one. Um, and I would say take advantage of the fact that it's virtual. I had next to me a binder and I would you know flip to the next company. I have highlighted it. I refresh on the question uh, that I thought was the best one right beforehand. Um, and I'd make sure that I had that available to me um, just so I could, you know, 
While it might be a weird experience, uh, take advantage of that as rapidly as possible. And when they have technical difficulties, like they will come up. I did an interview with someone in the back of an Uber. Uh, so being very understanding uh, and making sure that you are uh, being personal in those uh, interactions. You know, you're in the house in some scenarios when you're interviewing with a lot of the consultants. So um, making sure that you're personable and you know just having a normal conversation, uh, they're going to be as uncomfortable as you are in a lot of scenarios. Great. Alex, what about you? Last words of advice and wisdom for the group. Yeah, um, I would say be open uh, to any and all opportunities. Um, You're going to walk into some of these interviews and think there's no way I could ever work for this company um, or see myself working for this company. And you'll walk out of an interview and say, this is, you know, a top two. Um, And that exact thing happened to me. Um, And so I will say that, you know, just, just be open um, and then trust the process that Cameron Brooks is giving you. Um, they've, they've been doing this for a while. Natalie, you? So on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of the conference, I can almost guarantee that you will be very overwhelmed. Move through that and know that you'll be drinking from a fire hose. But once you get to the interviews, I promise you the interviews are the easy part. Um, you know, Learn what you can about the companies, listen to the company briefings and prepare yourself, but don't make yourself crazy. Don't pull all nighters like you're cramming for an exam the next day, like we all did in college at some point. Be on your game for the interviews because in my experience, and I'm sure everyone will agree with this, if you can be a good human being conversationalist, you will do well in your interviews. So the best thing you can do for yourself is have enough information about the companies, but just be able to have those conversations. Such great advice from all uh, four of you. Uh, Thank you for taking out another hour of your time to do a virtual conversation uh, for us, the group. It's always fun because I learn things and I appreciate you. Appreciate all the other 40 plus people that attended with us this evening. Thank you for doing that. You can always find me at jjunker at cameronifenbrooks.com. Um, and if you have questions for the, these uh, panelists, um, I could probably link you up. I can link you up with them as well. Um, everybody have a great uh, December holiday season. The four of you have a fabulous uh, transition. Um, enjoy your time off. Everybody have a great night. Thank you again to our alum for volunteering. Look forward to seeing everybody here in the near future. <laughs>